It seems like God's put on our heart. It's you know, easy for us to think, well, I've been faithful. And, and kind of, you know, if we pick up from what God put on Pastor Ted's heart to share, you know, I've been there and I've done that. And so sometimes we let ourselves off the hook for this season or for the next season because of what we've already done. And that's not how, at all how God calculates things or figures things. So he's writing to Timothy about being faithful to, the, to your whole season. And it's kind of one of those last conversations that he has. And I was just thinking about that, last conversations that you have. You know, the conversation you had, uh, or not so much last conversations, but things you, when your moment where you want somebody to remember. Remember the first time you left your kids home alone? You probably did some, now remember, remember, you know. Don't start the fire, you know. Don't, there were some don'ts and there were some do. Get along, you know, who's in charge, what you're supposed to do when I get home, this house better be clean. Sometimes there were some of those things to your advantage. But there have been moments in your life you had that. The first time one of your children, probably your first child was the most panicky, right? The first time a child took your car on their own. Remember, or even for me, I think I was more panicked the first time I drove with them driving. You know, it's okay, now remember. Right pedal, left, left pedal. Don't confuse those, you know. Remember, we don't need to follow this close. Remember, that's a yellow light. Remember those conversations you have or when you've, if you've gone the journey and, and left a child at college. And again, that got easier with them, but the first child, you're, just, you're leaving them all on their own, and this is the moment where they're not yours anymore in that sense that they've been. It's a, okay, remember, you can always call. Remember, it's going to be hard. Remember, you're probably going to cry a lot, you know, which they tried to look like they believed. But those moments you have, remember, remember. I, I bought this book one time, and, and I, should, I should read it. You know, you have those books that says, it's, it's like, 10 things I want my children to remember forever. That's a great title. And it just got me thinking, what are things I want my children to remember forever? Or if I get an opportunity to have a last conversation with them, you know, if we're all aware, that's the moment. Boy, what are things that I would say to them that I wanted them to remember until we met again? That's this letter. You know, what are things that he wants Timothy to remember in case they don't meet again? Because he's saying, you know, we saw last week, he says twice in this letter, come quickly, come quickly. He says, we'll see in a little bit, my departure time is at hand. You know, in the first, you know, he writes letters the first time he's in prison and he's very optimistic. He says to the Philippians, I know that with the help of the Spirit and through your prayers, I'm going to be released. In this one, he knows he's not going to be released. And so here's his letter to remember so that Timothy will be faithful to this whole journey. Timothy's been incredibly faithful and he's been incredibly stretched. He just needs to keep being faithful. Pastor Ted and I, we, we typically meet Thursdays, and uh, we were talking Thursday, and I was kind of processing the message with him, and he said, oh my goodness, this is where I'm going to be, and it's almost like a setup back to each other, and then he, this quote he has, I can show you, show and Chantal on my page, I got this quote on the back page, the entrance fee to the kingdom of heaven is free, and the annual dues are everything. So you think God's trying to give us a word as a church? So, so here we are in, in 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2. I want to read these verses. We, we started them last week, and we'll finish them next week, actually. Verses 
8 through 13. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So here's this moment, Timothy just comes straight out, remember. Remember is used a lot in the Bible. In fact, I did the quick thing on my, on my Bible programs, used 237 times. So, so then I asked Siri to divide 237 by the number of pages in my Bible. Every five pages, yes. you have remember. Now remember, imagine if you were with your parents, and every, however you divide up your life, every day or every four hours, they said to you, now remember, I mean, some of you had a parent like that or you had a grandparent like that. Now, don't forget, that was my mom's, you know, don't forget. Or why didn't you remember? That was a common one in my journey. Yeah. But here's Paul, straight out, Timothy, you remember Jesus Christ. And that's where we just settled down last week. You remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the son of David, the seed of David. That's who he is. And if you remember Timothy, Jesus, you will be okay. And we wrestled a little bit with, where is Timothy? And, and how do you connect with Timothy when you read the letter to him? Timothy's he's very unsure about the next step. You know, if you receive what Pastor Ted said, and the Holy Spirit's going to put in front of you the next step, and the next person to serve, or place to serve, or, or whatever that is, you're going to be a little bit unsure of that. You're, you're with Timothy in this, in this letter. He's not sure he has what it takes. Rome is a very dangerous time for Christians at this point. You know, Paul's about to be killed. Peter's going to be killed soon after. It's a very dangerous place, and that's where he's being invited to come and serve. And so he's not sure he wants to do that. That's where he is. So, Timothy, you remember Jesus. If you remember Jesus, risen from the dead, son of David, you're not going to worry about what Nero can do because you're going to remember Jesus, who is far greater and far more powerful and far more in control. And so you just remember Jesus Christ. It's, this passage is all about remembering. And, and, and you remember that Jesus is the gospel. You know, when Peter writes his last letter, he kind of does the same thing. He writes in 2 Peter, and he says he knows he's about to die, and so he wants to remind people of this. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of remind, by reminder, since I, know, uh, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And, and he did. I mean, God put this letter in his forever word, and here we are in 2019 reading those words of being stirred to remembrance. When he says, you know, as Jesus is, has made clear to me, it's, in, it's at the end of the book of John where they're talking about this and, and Jesus says to him, Peter, someday people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And John says he said that to indicate what kind of death Peter would die. And so that's the moment Peter's remembering there. But now that that moment's at hand, I'm going to remind you. 
So you can hear these words there. It's God's word. Clearly, it's in the Bible. It's the heart of Paul to make sure he has one last conversation with Timothy in case there isn't a next conversation. It's his word to Timothy's. You know, those, those of us get into moments where we're not sure what the next step is, or we're not sure we're up to the next step, or we're not sure the next step is going to be worth it. When all of those things, here's this reminder to us of what it comes. You remember Jesus. You remember that Jesus is the gospel. I think that's huge for those of you that share Jesus easily or, or naturally. That's, that's few of us. We're all called to share Jesus, but those of you that, that do that, one of your challenges is to make sure you're just sharing Jesus and that you're not being drawn into like a religious argument or a religious debate because at the heart of it, what we're trying to offer people is Jesus himself. We're trying to offer you the Savior who died in your place. He paid this debt. He was killed because of the debt that you owe and God raised him to stamp that that debt is paid for. We're, we're offering you a Jesus who was rejected by people but accepted and raised up by God. You know, we're offering a Jesus who gave up everything for you and now offers everything to you. That's the gospel. That's, that's why this thing is good news for people. We're not trying to suck all the joy and, and purpose out of your life. We're trying to give you an opportunity to know joy and peace and purpose. That's the gospel. You remember Jesus Christ, the risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. That's what Paul's saying. That is my gospel. It's about Jesus. Remember when he went to 1 Corinthians, he said, I was kind of nervous going there because everyone in Corinth is so smart and they're so proud of how intellectual they are. So he says, I just decided I wasn't going to know anything when I was there except Jesus and him crucified. I was just going to simplify the message down to it's about Jesus and, and what he can do for you. Remember my gospel. Timothy, you're in there and Ephesus wasn't a very easy place. So you remember while you're there, and then you remember on your way here, you just remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, which is my gospel. He's risen from the dead for that. He's the offspring of David, which means everything that, did, that the Old Testament promised would be part of Israel's history, everything the Old Testament promised was going to be part of David's legacy, that's ours. I've been reading in First uh, Kings in my, in my own quiet time in the Old Testament part. I'm just at the, in chapter 8 where Solomon builds the temple and then he dedicates the temple. And this is part of his prayer. Uh, this is part of his prayer. Here we go. Of that, he says, Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him. You know, it's a, I'm another generation down the road, God, but I'm calling on you for that promise. You're saying... You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. That was God's promise to David. Now his son says, Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you've spoken to your servant David, my father, that there will always be someone to sit on the throne. And so even the New Testament will pick that up that someday Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David. You know, there's a sense in which he is sitting on a throne now, but someday that's settling down on this planet. And, and the way the scriptures unfold, I believe, you'll have a thousand years of the rule of Jesus Christ on the earth where you and I, based on our faithfulness to, to this life now, will have some measures of ruling, you know, in, in that time period. And then at the end of the thousand years, there's a final rebellion and we go into eternity where Jesus continues to rule. 
That's the gospel. What Jesus did in his life, in life, death, and resurrection, and the promise that Jesus brings to life to give you an, an opportunity to, to, be part of, to be part of his forever kingdom. And so he, he writes to Timothy and he says to him, you just remember that the gospel is about Jesus. And Jesus is greater than Nero. He's greater than any opposition you're going to face. He's greater than any person that you're speaking to. He is the gospel. And, and make sure the gospel stays about him because he's the one that brings life and he's the one that brings purpose. See, so, so when he says, as preached in my gospel, he's just reminding Timothy, Timothy, this is the heart of, of what we're doing. This is the heart of the message. He goes on and, the, and then he says, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a, as a criminal. I thought, you know, one of the reasons people don't share Jesus is because it's going to get a reaction. And the reality is that the gospel always gets a reaction. It gets a good reaction or it gets a not-so-good reaction. Or sometimes people have no reaction, but a no reaction, it's one of those times when no reaction is a reaction. It gets a reaction like it had two weeks ago when Franklin Graham was here and presented the gospel, presented Jesus, gave an invitation, and over 600 people responded to either invite him into their lives or give their lives back to him. It got that kind of a reaction. This is Pentecost Sunday. You know, on, in Acts chapter 2, in the first Pentecost, thousands of people listened to a message by Peter and the other apostles and gave their lives to Jesus, believed that he was who he said he was, you know, weeks after crucifying him. The gospel always gets a reaction. It got a reaction in, in Acts chapter 9 when Paul is on his way to persecute more believers and arrest more people, and, and Jesus just stops him short in a bright light, knocks him off the horse, speaks to him, and, and Paul realizes that he's been, he's been persecuting the wrong people and gives his life to Jesus, and this whole movement changes when that happens. It always gets a reaction. Not always reactions like that. You go to Acts 19, where there's this massive riot in Ephesus, the city where, where Timothy is. We were talking about that last week, and where for two hours, this mob of people is just chanting about the idol that's in their city. It gets a reaction like that where even Paul's friends wouldn't let him go to that gathering to kind of defend his faith. They, got, they just got him out of town. And that's where Timothy is now. And you read 1 Timothy and you find out there's pushback. People are looking down on Timothy because he's young. People want to talk about, you know, they want to have debates and controversies and not get to the heart of the gospel. It's in 1 Timothy where he says the goal of our instruction is love. It's not debating. It's to see people's lives transformed by the power of God's love. It always gets a reaction. One of my, one of my favorite places is in Acts chapter, uh, I was trying to think, yeah, this is a reaction in Acts chapter 26. Paul's, it's one of Paul's trials. He has several trials. In one of the trials, he appealed to Caesar, which was the right of every Roman citizen. If you felt like you weren't getting justice, you could appeal to Caesar and go to Rome, and Caesar would hear your case. So after that, he has another trial. King Agrippa is in town, and so they have this big thing to showcase Agrippa and to showcase Paul. So Paul's giving his defense. He says, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. That's a reaction. You know, you've probably had that from people. You really believe that? You're crazy. That is crazy. Why would anyone believe that? But Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. You know, he's truthful and he's honoring. I mean, we need to learn that in this culture of, of craziness. You know, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. 
See, you kind of pick up that, okay, you just ignore the people that are not interested and try to continue to pick up on the person who may be. The king knows about these things, and I speak to him boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And it goes on, and it says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. So he finds, he finds common ground with him. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, uh, except for the chains. You know, which you've got to appreciate Paul does that. But I mean, yeah, are you th- asking me if I'm hoping you're going to be converted? Yes, I am. And not just you, but everybody that's in the room. That's, that's kind of where Paul is. The gospel always gets, a, it always gets a reaction. The king rises and the governor and Bernice, his wife, and those who are sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man's doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa, the king, says to Festus, the governor, this man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. That takeaway, you know, Paul, it, they won't release him because he's appealed to Caesar. He's, he's had several years he's been imprisoned here wrongly. But he leaves them with a positive sense to his gospel. He's still in jail, but he's gotten a reaction from the gospel where Agrippa realizes Paul is trying to convert me. He's trying to win me over to Jesus because that's just, that's what Paul does. The gospel, it always gets a reaction. There's another place that I love. If you've got your Bible or your device, turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Because you'll, you'll see this passage. Such a difference. At the, oh, no, wait. I've got this later on. I'm getting... Uh, yeah, let me do the beginning of this. Yeah, in Acts chapter 12 and verses 1 to 5. About this time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That's, you know, can I just say on a side note, that's a thread all the way through the book of Acts. There's stuff going on, but there's always a church praying together behind the scenes. I mean, you see it, that's what starts the day of Pentecost. Then you see, you're just going to see it at crucial points through the book of Acts that that church knew, if we get together and pray, God will do something. And, and he does something. Here's the reaction to the gospel. He, this movement is growing, and so Herod tries to just stamp it out. And so he kills James, and, and now he's ready to kill Peter. And you know, this, as the story unfolds, you know that the angel comes and Peter's released from jail, and he goes to that prayer meeting and just blows everybody's mind that he's been released. The gospel will always get a reaction. And some of us, we will stop sharing or we won't even consider sharing the gospel because of, because of that re- reaction that's going to come. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we'll project that on people. Well, I know they're not going to be interested. I know they don't want to hear it. I talked to them once. I know they're pretty strong in their own religion. I know they've got a strong faith. I know they've been burnt by Christians. Whatever that is, all of those things, they're just excuses we're writing down to take ourselves off the hook. Because when, when Jesus calls you to be a disciple of his, you know disciples of his because they're making disciples of other people. 
That's what he calls us to do. He calls us to, to win people to Jesus and then help them grow in Jesus. That's, that's the work. I mean, you can easily tra trace down, am I a disciple or am I one of those people that's just kind of doing what people do in a nursing home? In a nursing home, people have, have done their life and now they're just kind of coasting and waiting for the end. I mean, it was, it was hilarious when Pastor Ted said that, Cottage Hill Nursing Home. <laughs> but when you think about nursing homes, and my mother-in-law is in one, what she's done has pretty much come to an end. Now she's just waiting. There's a lot of Christians that already have done what they're going to do, and now they're just waiting. Maybe that was of God, you know? So, so when he says the gospel gets a reaction... It's going to, and yet it's still worth sharing. And whatever that reaction does to intimidate you, you need to step over that. Because we've got this incredible legacy of, of the gospel getting reactions and yet continuing to move, which is what Paul says. You know, it's gotten a reaction, it's gotten a reaction. That's why Paul's in jail. You know, it's gotten a reaction. And that's why he doesn't just say he's in jail. He says, chained as a criminal. And it's not unusual to talk about being chained, but this is a word he's never used before, as a criminal. You literally translate that as an evildoer. It's only used one other place in the New Testament. It's used about the thieves on the cross. I mean, that's where Paul is comparing himself to. Here's my gospel for which I am in chains as, a, as an evildoer. That's how I'm being seen in Rome. And he would be seen as an evildoer. He was against the government. That's how they would have interpreted what he was doing. Rome was very sensitive to anything that might get a following that might be a threat to the state, which sounds incredibly like the government of China. Just incredibly worried about anything that might become a movement and, and teach anything different than the state is teaching. And so Paul is there as a, as a criminal. He's, he's gotten that label on himself, but that's okay to him. Because, you know, as he says... The gospel always gets a reaction, but look at this next sentence at the end of verse 9. But the word of God is not bound. Hey, they chained me up, and I'm in this, in this prison that Steve explained to us last week he's been in. I'm here, but let me tell you, that gospel, it is unstoppable. Unstoppable. It's still going out. The people that Paul has shared to, they are still sharing. You know, the, the people that he's left behind in different cities, those churches, they are still growing. The gospel will never be confined to, to one person, to one thing. And when Billy Graham died, it was an incredibly sad day for the kingdom in one sense, and an incredibly great celebration in another sense. But Billy Graham, nothing really died with Billy Graham because the word is unstoppable. It just keeps going out. So here we read at the beginning of, we read at the beginning of uh, Acts chapter 12, so James kills, uh, Herod kills James, and, and then he arrests Peter, and 24 verses later it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Amen. So you can kill James, and you can arrest Peter, but the word is just going to continue to spread. It's going to continue to be multiplied. Some of you that maybe you stopped sharing Jesus, or maybe you've stopped discipling people because it just seemed like it was going nowhere. Boy, we need to have a confidence that whatever we said, that's a living word. If we shared the scripture, if we shared what's on our heart, if we shared what God's done for us, those are living words. Those don't die. They may get buried, they may get suppressed, but they are living. 
And I believe periodically God just stirs those things up again in people's minds. You know, they have a moment where they remember that conversation or they remember your example or they remember a verse that you gave them. Because the word is, it's not stoppable. You can't silence it. You can't stamp on it. It's just unstoppable in, in those ways. Paul's in jail, but that word, it, it, just, keeps, uh, it just keeps spreading. And so you have, you have a place, I'm not sure what this one is. Yeah, I didn't change. This is out of Philippians chapter 1. I didn't change the reference thing. It's Philippians 1. Paul says he's in jail. Hey, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in jail, and he wants the Philippians to know, this thing isn't stopped, it's spreading. He says, so it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, which I love. You know, Paul's chained at the end of the book of Acts to a Roman soldier, one of these elite soldiers, like Pastor Ted was talking about. The elite, kind of the SEAL team of that day got assigned to watch Paul. And so Paul being Paul, just how you doing? Good. Hey, are you, you believe anything about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. So that the whole imperial guard, is that because, you know, you had some guards who would say, you go there today. I am not going, I'm, I can't take another 12 hours with that guy. You know, you go. Or was it because some of those soldiers believed that and said, you need to go talk to this guy. I know what's going on in your life. You need to talk to this guy. Or you had those, like we do that too. You don't say anything. You just, hey, yeah, you, it's your turn. You go get chained to that guy. He's just some guy. And Paul would just say, did Paul just be Paul? The whole guard, the gospel doesn't stop. And then he says too, and most of the brothers having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, I'm much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, that there are, there are some brothers around Paul who are in Rome with him that when they saw that this was important enough to Paul that he's willing to go to prison, just got them to sign up. You know, okay, if Paul really believes this much in it, then I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Because the, the gospel, it's unstoppable. It can't go anywhere. Or, or how about this, this French philosopher that none of us know, unless you're a philosophy major, Voltaire said, a hundred years from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. You know, we're way more than a hundred years, and everyone is kind of like, who's Voltaire? As we open our Bibles, you know? But here's the clincher. You know, I always cringe a little bit when people say God has a sense of humor, because I understand that, but, but that, how can you not think that when you read this? Watch this. Oops. I always forget, how do I get the second part? There it is. A hundred years after his death, the French Bible Society set up headquarters in Voltaire's old home in Paris. <laughs> I mean, how good is that, you know? That, okay, who's Voltaire? I don't know, but you can get a Bible at this house, you know? So how, those are just things God does to say, this word, it's going to continue to go on and on and on. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is sealed up in heaven. The scriptures say, Jesus said, you need to know that not a stroke, not the smallest stroke of a Greek or Hebrew language is going to disappear from this word. It is unstoppable. Unstoppable. You know, those evangelists that are going into nowhere places in India or in South America or China, and they go there and it doesn't seem like anything happens, that gospel is unstoppable. And that, that should encourage you. That should motivate you. Those conversations you've had that went nowhere, they went somewhere. They went somewhere. 
in China, when they were convinced Christianity was going to be crushed when Mao Zedong led the Cultural Revolution, they found out when, when China opened up that the Christian church had exploded. The underground church was so vibrant after that. You know, one of the places where the church is growing fastest in the world today is in Iran. I, I was reading, I was reading on, on Twitter a few weeks ago, and there was, a, there was a gathering of clerics, Muslim clerics in Iran, where they confronted that, where they talked to the clerics about the growth of Christianity in Iran and just said to them, you need to help us stop this. And so one of the ministries, who was the Open Doors or Voice of the Martyrs, was just calling, just pray that some of these clerics, some of these imams, start to check out Christianity just to see, well, what is it? Why is it so important that it's growing and growing and growing in Iran? We watched the movie here uh, a couple months ago in prayer meeting, The Insanity of God, which is a great book. It's just our brother Nick Ripkin just writing, it's the insanity of God that through persecution the church just continues to grow and grow and grow. So just story after story in, in that book of places where the gospel has really been suffered for and yet it's spread because this gospel, it's unstoppable. And what's coming in our country, it's not going to stop it. You know, this thing where we're, we're going to be, we are being, being more and more and more marginalized as, as extremists, as people who are intolerant. It's going to be more and more pressure on us just to sit down and shut up and to let people live the way that they want to live. That's going to grow as a pressure. And then I, I believe eventually we're going to be associated with hate crimes. I believe eventually we're going to, you know, we'll lose our tax-free status because we're we're resistant to some of the things that the culture says is fine to do. It's beginning and it's coming. And we'll be at a place of having to choose, am I willing still to stand for this gospel? You know, knowing that nobody wants to hear it or it seems like that, but realizing, no, we're serving an unstoppable gospel. And when Paul says, this is my gospel, which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a as, as criminal, but the word is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may ob obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Yeah, remember that the gospel is worth everything. It's worth everything. Remember that moment Peter has with Jesus, and you, you wonder how this played when everybody's leaving him. You know, the rich, rich young ruler has this encounter with Jesus, and he, sends, he walks away, and Peter says, Lord, uh, what about us? We've given up everything for you. And Jesus says to him, you know, people that have given up something for me, Pastor Ted referred to this, people that have given up anything for me are not going to be returned less than 100 times the sacrifice. It's just a matter of whether you can be okay with waiting on that for the kingdom or whether you would need what's worth now. But the gospel, that's worth everything. So Paul says, hey, so I endure everything for the gospel. I endure everything so that there can be moments where people meet Jesus. I believe that's what he's talking about. I, obtain, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus, so that people will come to know Jesus, so that people will get saved. I endure everything. And, and you read through his life, and he did endure everything. He endured being arrested. He endured being shipwrecked. In 2 Corinthians 11, he'll talk about how many times he was beaten, whether he was beaten with rods or whether he was beaten with a whip. He'll talk about how often he was floating, hanging onto something in the sea. 
he'll say that he's in constant danger. He's in constant, he's in danger when he's in the city. He's in danger when he's in the country. He's in danger when he's with Jewish people. He's in danger when he's with Gentile people. He is constantly in danger. He doesn't get a chance to live life the way he wants to live his life. But if he sees people coming to faith in Jesus, that's worth it to him. You know, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And, and I don't get hung up on the whole election thing. I don't understand it. And I'm okay not understanding it. And there are people that are smarter than me that feel like they've figured it out. It just seems to me in the scripture, God says that in some way he's chosen people to be saved. And yet he makes an open invitation to everyone that whosoever will can come to him. So you and I, we just go after the whosoever. You know, we just go after everyone because Jesus is paid not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And, and Jesus has a burden for everyone to come. And Paul saw that the gospel was worth that. Whatever it was that he had to endure, it was worth it to him. And that's a key attitude. If you're going to encounter some resistance to the gospel, if you're going to step beyond yourself and your personality or your past experiences or you, you feel like you're, you're, it's a sense of you feel unprepared or you feel like you're being stretched too much out of your comfort zone, you, it's going to be your attitude that's going to become key. And that's what Paul's attitude is. It's all worth it. Whatever I suffer, whatever I endure, it's going to be worth that moment when someone comes to Jesus. And so... In Acts chapter 5, you get an attitude like that. It's the first time people are, are uh, physically persecuted. The disciples, they get arrested in uh, Acts chapter 4, but then they get beaten in Acts chapter 5. It says, when they called in the apostles, the Jewish court, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What was their attitude? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. God, thank you that you trusted us enough to let us go through that. That you had confidence that we would not shrink and we would not shrivel up for you, but that we would stay, we would stay public. You know, we always miss this one in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, you know, he wants to know Jesus. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I was reading not too long ago something out of the persecuted church, and that's their testimony, that when they are suffering, they sense this fellowship with Jesus that they have, who also suffered for them. I mean, that's what First Peter is drawing people into, people that are suffering. He writes to in First Peter, and he talks about this fellowship that you share, that we don't share because we haven't suffered like that. We have a fellowship with Jesus, but it's different. And Paul knows because he suffered. He says, hey, I want to know Jesus more. I want to experience power. And I want to share in his, his sufferings, all of those things he's suffering for the gospel and, and for, for faith to continue to roll out. So this gospel, it's worth everything. This was on Twitter this morning. I don't know if you can read it. Yeah, you can't read it. So let me read it to you. It says, uh, if, you, if you're on Twitter and you follow Open Doors, this is Open Doors South Africa that I've just found has some good updates. Rihala, which is, of course is not a real name, was abandoned by her husband after she found out she's a Christian. Pray that God will take care of her every need and protect her. She's in, she lives in Tunisia. That's just the reality in a lot of the Muslim world. You know, well, you're a Christian? Get out. And the kids stay, whether you're a wife or a husband. So... 
there are places where our sister has come to the, come to the conviction that the gospel is worth it. The gospel is, is worth this. It's worth, you know, losing my marriage. It's worth giving up my children. It's worth believing that the rest of the brothers and sisters around the world are going to pray that God changes that situation. But if he doesn't, she's hopefully going on with Jesus. That's where Paul's life constantly was, just living out that this gospel was worthwhile. Why was it worth it? For those salvation moments. If you've led somebody to Jesus, if you've had a moment where someone has put their personal faith in Jesus, you know it's worth it. If it's been a long while, then you can begin to wonder, is this really worth it? And one of the things we talked about last week was people that are walking away from Jesus that we all know. I mean, Paul says in this letter, everybody in Ephesus has left me. He's going to tell Timothy at the end, only Luke is still here. There are people that are, that are sharing and, and finding, feeling like this is not worth it because they're not having those salvation moments with people. They're not having those moments helping people grow in Jesus where they make key decisions where God does something in their life that you get to share in and be there for that keeps motivating you. That's what Paul's talking about here, isn't it? Being motivated. What motivates you to stay faithful to your whole journey? The fact that the gospel is worth everything. It's worth everything. It was worth it to those people that took a chance on sharing with you. It's worth it for those people for whom you're going to take a chance to step out and, and to say something about Jesus that God is using you to bring people out of darkness into light and out of death into, into, out of darkness to light, out of death to life, out of being alienated to God, to being a child of God, out of being alone, to become adopted by God. He's using you to, take, to do this for all these people from a life of futility to a life of purpose to a life that's going to end in terrible judgment to a life that's going to end in eternal joy. That's what he's inviting us and allowing us to be a part of, those moments that's the moment that he wants to give you. So if you need to leave, let me have you please stay. You know, and I can just ask the rest of you not to get up. You can go if you're already up, but yeah. I just feel like we're at we're the critical moment in the, of the message, and I, I just don't want you to be distracted because I feel like God is inviting you to hear what Pastor Ted said. His disciples have decided that, that he is more important than any other relationship, any other life goal. And they are stepping into a life of sharing him with people that need to come to faith in Jesus or sharing him in ways that help people grow. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter what your personality is, that's what we're being invited into. You could, you could say, too, we're being called into that. We're being commanded into that. But it's this incredible invitation that God is giving you to be part of what he is doing in the world. Things that we're going to celebrate in heaven forever and ever and ever. So my challenge to you is you've, if you've never shared Jesus, to start sharing him, to, to use tomorrow to say something where you work or with the people that you're around to say something about Jesus. You know, whether it's as simple as uh, yesterday in our church, then you fill in the blank so that the fact you go to church is out there and just, hey, do you go to church? If we have anybody come in this building or anybody talks to me, and asks me what I do or anything like that, I always just have this go-to line. I say, okay, now I'm obligated to ask you, do you go to church? Just kind of gets that going. It kind of gives me an opening to, to where I go, where I get my hair cut. Uh, there was a girl that cut my hair for years before she left. 
we had so many conversations that she referred to me as the, as the pastor of, their, of, the, of the place that I go to. It was awesome. I got to pray with one of the girls, cut hair when she had some health things going on, got to participate in conversations that were very ungodly, but where I got to bring kind of a godly element to it. So I'm just challenging you to step into that if you've never have. It's been a long time since you shared Jesus. Would you hear him invite you to follow me? But this is what his followers do. And then if, if you're trying to figure out what your relationship with Jesus is going to be, can I give you a couple of verses out of the first letter Paul wrote to Timothy? He says to him, this saying is trustworthy and true, or trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. We talk to a lot of people that feel like you've just done too much. But here's Paul saying, yeah, nobody's done as much as me. I used to kill Christians. What do you do? You know? He came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. In one translation it says, of whom I'm the worst. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know, Paul's saying that in heaven... It's going to be this time you get a sense of where you're going to go around and Jesus is going to have his arm around Paul and say, let me tell you what I did in this guy's life. You know, he, I'm going to be there as an example. He's going to showcase what he did in my life. I think about that, you know, that element of, uh, it, it'll be a moment in heaven and here's Chandler. Can you believe I made him a pastor? You know, and, and look what we did. Look what we did through him. That if you can grab onto that for yourself, but here you are, and this is what they let me do through them. I mean, think of all that we have in, in, in the New Testament because of the Apostle Paul. That's what he wants to do with your life. He wants, to, he wants to forgive you and do something in your life that shows what he can do. A chapter later, he says, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at a proper time. There's only one mediator. There's only one way Jesus said that only one mediator between God and man who's going who's to intervene for you. That's Jesus. And he can do that because he has paid for everything wrong you've done. And that's the gospel. Either you will pay for everything you've done or Jesus will pay everything you've done. And when someone gets saved, they're just saying, Jesus, I accept what you've done to save me. You've paid for my sins. Please be my savior and come into my life and change me and I will follow you. That's, that's the gospel. It's about Jesus, and it saves you forever and ever and ever. If you've never done that, I challenge you to do that today. That's just a conversation you have with God in your heart. We can make you do all kinds of things. We can make you raise your hand or, or come forward or stand up. But really, it happens you and God. And then what happens in your life shows whether you meant it or not. So do that today if you haven't done that. If you do that, or if you've done that recently, we have a booklet we'd like to give you called My Heart, Christ Home. It just talks about what do you do now? How does Jesus begin to take control of your life? But those are the challenges that I feel like come out of our two words. If you can believe that, that God has given us this word for you. As I say, I had written in my notes, the entrance fee to the kingdom of heaven is free. The annual dues are everything. That's what God is calling us to today. So let's stand together. I'll close and we'll pray. If you're on the prayer team, let me have you come on up right now. I feel like sometimes we finish service and we're waiting for you to get up here, so thank you. There's someone at the booth and there are people in front who will just pray over you.
whatever's on your heart, whatever's your burden. Maybe come right to the front. Yep. So my challenge, if you've never shared Jesus, to start. If it's been a while, start again. Whether you're sharing him with a lost person or with someone that you're just helping to grow, be intentional about that. And if you've never invited him into your life, do that. Do that. We see what he does with Paul. We've known each other enough to know what he can do in each of us and what he's still doing. We want to see what he can do in you. So Lord Jesus, you are such a phenomenal savior. And you save totally the scriptures say fully all of our sins clean all of our past put behind us with the opportunity for it to be corrected in this life for those wounds and those those tragedies in our past for you to bring purpose and meaning out of them and use them for good things that people have done in our lives for evil that you redeem and use for good and not only in our life but in the lives of others so we thank you we worship you We've sung to you all these things that are true. Father, I pray, I pray for my brothers and sisters who've never shared you really directly, never openly. I pray that they would receive courage and boldness from you. I pray that, that sharing you would become so important, an important part of their life. I pray that you give them favor tomorrow and give them a moment where they can share and, and see you faithful in that. I pray for my brothers and sisters who at one time were pretty regular about sharing you with lost people or investing in, in people, discipling them, whatever it is we want to call it, Lord, they were doing it and they're not. So I pray that you would just guide them, that they would put themselves in positions where you can use them to that end, maybe in new ways that, that you have a mind to do. And then, Lord, I, I just pray for men and women or young people who are here today that have never given their lives to you, kind of figure out what this is, that they would just know in their spirit that this is the truth and that your heart, your care reaches to them. So I pray, I pray this would be a day of salvation for some, just like each of us have had that moment of realization and of welcoming you and changed lives, we pray. We give ourselves to you for that, for that purpose, that you would glorify yourself through us by allowing us to be involved in the changing of people's lives. That's what we pray to your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week serving the Lord. If you haven't met Mr. or Mrs. Smith, take the opportunity to do that. Yeah.